0: Four seconds, and now it's down to no seconds, obviously. Zero seconds. uh, City limits, (laughs) we're on the air. It's the uh, second Wednesday of the month. That's our energy day. And um, I'm Kevin Healy. I'm here with Eugenie Jubchenko and I'm here with uh, Meg uh, Kimber. Who's just back from Tassie. uh, Yep.
2: Pressing Beautiful. buttons and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And what we were talking about yesterday when you couldn't get your phone to work, we we agreed it was probably good I was on this yeah. side of the panel. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well there's a
0: strange noise appears in my phone. The only way to get rid of it is to keep belting the damn thing. <laughs> I, I felt, well that's that's my way of dealing with any technical problem. <laughs> Belt it or kick it. <laughs> That'll so talk. I just that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I belted it and kicked it and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So anyway today we've got a guest. Well we're, we're talking about um we're talking about um a a federal um corruption um we've talked about this once before, mm-hmm. but a federal corruption body, are we not?
2: Yeah. In well, the Australia Institute is working on that pretty hard and I know you said there's something in the Fin review, I read that this morning. Um yeah, about the benefits of corruption, anti-corruption uh, inquiries and commissions and and how much power they have and in how much power they have in different states. So my understanding is different states have um, – not all of them have this body but those that do have different powers. So Hannah Orby from the Australian Institute is going to talk with us about the work that she's doing. So part of it is pushing for a federal corruption um, c- uh, commission – but also the specifics of how they work and how much power they have. Because mm. you could set one up and it wouldn't have – it would be a bit of a paper target. Yeah. There's an so.
0: argument that the Victorian one couldn't do what the New South Wales one did, for instance.
2: Yeah, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, Warren. yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm. So um, that'll be interesting, yeah. yeah. We were planning to have an energy side of things later in the program, Paddy Moriarty um, – um, who, of course, we like to use the title Professor Moriarty, which he is. But anyway, <laughs> Paddy, I uh, rang him yesterday and left a message. And normally he's sitting at his desk from early morning. And I thought he'd get back to me, but he didn't. So I rang him this morning and got the same message. So he, he must mm. be... Um, he's and he's always at his desk. Well, he was ill last year. He was off in mm. hospital for a few months last year. And uh-huh. I'm just hoping he's okay. I haven't spoken to him since. He rang me just to have a chat in January sometime during our break. but. Okay. Uh, I haven't heard from him since, so I'm hoping he's all right. That's all. Mm, but anyway,s but cool. with the stuff on energy, we can talk about. So we'll talk about it if we if we get round
2: to Great. it. Great. Mm, yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah. there's lots happening.
0: Well, there's heaps, isn't there? I mean, <laughs>
2: uh, and Hannah's in Canberra at the that's moment, like, so she might have some insights. Who knows? She's probably flat out lobbying for the com- yep, commission. Yep. clink
0: of a cup, we'll pour some tea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, that's that. Uh, there we are. Anything to uh, yarn about? <laughs>
2: There was something in The Guardian I read this morning, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure which, I read it online, like a millennial, um, <laughs> and it was talking about the Apple store going into Fed Square, which mm. we've had people on here before talking about. Yeah,
3: what's the update on that? Um,
2: well, it was just a really <coughs> fascinating article, obviously, like just talking about uh, a sense of civic um, place yeah. and how it functions within a city, and looking at uh, the issues of overpopulation in Melbourne, because the population of Melbourne is expanding very quickly. Yeah, right. And um,
3: and connecting that to the presence of a of a uh, retail giant. Yeah, in, the in this sense,
2: yeah, that's right. It, it, sort of a, looking at the ways in which um, people engage with the city. And what it actually means to live in Melbourne. Yeah, totally. This idea that it's a really livable city.
3: Totally. Because yeah. I guess the more people that live here, the more important it is to have kind of the important public institutions in place, public space. Yeah. That's open and free and accessible to all is a yeah. major one of those. Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Of course, John Howard used to talk about when he was breaking promises, talking about core promises and... Non-core. Non-core promises. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I suppose you could argue that the apple going in there is a core decision. Um, think about very <laughs> bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't a good joke, was it? Um, it, took, it? It's taking a bite out of the core decisions. <laughs> <is that? laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we won't go on with puns about that. We could <laughs> go, go the whole hour. Yeah. <laughs> Just interesting um, that speaking of, of great people uh, and certainly nothing to do with the or Federal Corruption Authority, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Dutton, the wonderful minister, um, Con- Constable Dutton.
2: Mm.
0: Um, one of his latest ones, he's got these young um, kids, these black African kids who, who certainly commit crimes, some of them, the ones who have committed crimes. And, yep. you know, they, they when they do, they make the news big time. Mm. Uh, that You know, I noticed there was a raid on someone in this this week and they didn't say white youth attacked this woman, but if they'd mm. been <laughs> black, you could lay odds mm-hmm. that would have mentioned mm-hmm. their colour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a number of kids. In detention, they've been sent into sent to um, all sorts of detention places like Darwin, etc., for deep. Deportation after they've served their sentence. So it's a, there was an article in the Saturday Paper last week about it, yeah. um, and they interviewed the family of one of them. You know, a kid had come here as a child with mm. the family years and years ago, mm. um, but uh, having he committed crimes that involved robbing people, etc. And, and once he got out of jail, they've sent him off to a place for deportation. And I mentioned there's a number of young South Sudanese kids and black African kids. And I mean mm. the argument is, well, you've done your time, that's it, and uh you know, why should you get a second punishment? And also of yeah. course the kid who came here at eight or nine or something What connects, and the family's here. The rest of the family's here. So, what connection has he got back home? That's crazy. Or back what what used to be home.
3: So the rationale seems to be that migrants have different sets of judicial rights to uh, (laughs) to Australian-born kids. Interesting concept. Yeah. Well, that's you know
0: follows up what we mentioned last week that he refused a visa for the Cuban who was to come here and speak um, Mm. last Wednesday night um so um there you are speaking of which double slug on private health was the uh uh, was uh, a headline this week in one of the papers, in the herald sun actually and um it's fascinating because uh one i think there should be no private health insurance at all i mean the 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 medibang medicare levy these days it's called Mm. uh was designed to provide free health care for everybody uh yet we have we have radio thons. We have big charity things. The Good Friday appeal, etc., all to raise money for hospitals. That mm. should come. If if the levy isn't enough to meet it, then increase the levy mm. till it does meet the full costs. Mm. And private health insurances, and because of all the subsidies that people get from government, is a, is is a slug on on that. So it's probably coming out of the, the funds that aren't going into public health for a start. Um, but. Um, but also, of course, the um, the private health system that all the rebates people get. When it came in, Kim Beasley, one of the the great Labor leaders of all time, said he would oppose it, uh, but mm. if elected, he would not rescind it. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know, the, so there's there's guts it's and courage. Oh, it's, well, it was clear, I suppose. <laughs> but talk about guts and courage that, that you know is it, it was succeeded only by his guts and courage over the Tampa affair. Which ha- and he's, mm. he's, he's he's complete cowardice on that of course has led to all the problems we've had since on refugees, et cetera picked yeah. it stood up then the Pacific things solution, would be powers. things would be well and yeah. tamper and people yeah. throwing kids overboard, and all the crap mm. they went on with at the time yeah mm. um, but look, I have got some sad news um because uh, well you wouldn't know, but over the years. On the week that was, the satire piece I do, and as I say, it is over the years. It's been going for 30-something years, and I keep referring to it as the longest-running segment on radio no-one's ever heard. Um, but it, it um, we've, we used to have a thing, or we occasionally, we still do it, celebrity news. And Paris Hilton for a long time was the basis of our celebrity news. Oh, um, well, but she's dropped off MX. I used to love it. MX, the free paper that Murdoch bought out, handed oh. out at the railway station. What happened
2: to MX? Yeah, I they just, they it, folded,
0: it folded about three or four years ago, oh. but folded. almost every night she got a Paris item you could use on celebrity news. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. And, <laughs> Thanks, <Kevin. laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, but since then, there's been no. Of course, she's also reaching an age now where she's probably no longer, you know, seen. She's in her thirties, for God's sake. Oh, I mean, mm. oh well. I do you know. Yeah. She's, oh, she's
2: probably way just over the hill in, in the, the attic. Of, yeah. But there's yeah, some distressing society. news, and this
0: is this is out of the Financial Times, which is republished in the Financial Review. Um, people, celebrities endorsing, um, endorsing cryptocurrency fundraisers. There's a suggestion now they might actually be be either sued by people who were taken out, taken down by them, who lost money, Ooh. or in fact charged with some sort of offence for promoting something that clearly was fraudulent. Oh. and poor Paris promoted one of them, and there's her photo there. There it is, poor Paris. Well, there she is. Yes, um, she used Twitter and Instagram to announce her participation in another offering, and I mean, wouldn't that be awful? I I, I think. I think, really, if, they, if they're so low as to charge Paris with something or people mm. sewer, we should have a collection, I reckon. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think Don't so, you know, too. A special yeah. fundraiser or something? She's a hero for many of us. Yeah. Mm. yeah. A role model. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: we love Paris. <laughs> I think what we love mostly is her brain. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, speaking of, um, the Sarah Henderson, the member for Kerangamite, which is the seat around Geelong, Colac, that part of the world, um she's a liberal uh, her mother was also a minister, I think, before mm. um, her. there there's been a redistribution of boundaries, and the suggestion is the Keranga might be called Cox C O X, named after um May Cox, who was in her last for her lasting legacy in teaching swimming and life saving to Victorians. <laughs> now um <laughs> now Sarah says she'd object to being called the member for Cox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she suggests there's a double entendre there, which most people couldn't see, of course, I'm sure.
3: Um,
0: and so... And the um,
3: original name, Kevin? Do you know what that...
0: Corangamite. Well, Corangamite yeah. originally... Corangamite is an Indigenous name. Well,
3: yeah, that okay. in um, seems to so be the, problematic, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So
0: they're taking away an Indigenous name, and I raised that for that very reason, that they're renaming a number of seats. And... Um, the seat of uh, the fact, the, the seat that's out in the western di- in the western suburbs of Melbourne, the working class suburbs, they want to call Fraser after Malcolm Fraser, which I think is a complete mm. bloody insult to the people, working class people out there.
2: What are they now? What is it called now?
0: Um, it's called Merivale, I think, oh, or hmm. might—it's it's one of those seats anyway out there, Merivale. I think it's Um which is shortened seat actually, if that's the one. But uh, oh. anyway, then. Kerenga might become as Cox. Now the a good change is Macmillan. At least change it because we've been arguing for years. Macmillan's down in Gippsland, and uh, Macmillan was one of the worst of the slaughterers of the butchers of Aboriginal people. He mm. he led raids. He's well yeah. known. He was infamous yeah, right. for his slaughter of the Aboriginal people. Yet there was a seat named after him. and He was being honoured, and many people have argued for a long time that that's a complete know, a complete insult to Aboriginal people. Mm. Mm. But they want to call it Monash. Now, I would have thought, particularly given Macmillan's background, that an Indigenous name would have been good. Yeah. I'm raised this because none of these are getting Indigenous names. Um, and the one's only... One's taken oh, away. Yeah, yeah, and they're
2: not yeah. adding any...
0: Oh. No, so he becomes Monash after old Monash, who's currently in the coal face, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> and, the, and Melbourne Ports would become McNamara, named after um, Dame Annie Jean McNamara, who um, was a... Medical scientist of some sort, and um, the oh the other one that I uh, guess does have that connection though the seat of Murray, which is up on the obviously up on the Murray, it's a real country party seat, will be named Nichols after Doug Nichols and um, Gladys Nichols. Uh, he was, of course was an Aboriginal. You know, leader the first. I think he was. He was regarded. Probably wasn't, but he was regarded as the first Aboriginal to star at AFL footy and oh. became governor of South Australia later on, etc. Um, so that's one where there is at least an indigenous connection, I guess. But I just think it's terrible that they're changing all these names, and particularly with uh, Macmillan, not to give it at least an indigenous title. Mm. But anyway, Sarah's upset about being called the member for Cox. Whether they change (laughs) that or not, I'm not sure. Reminds
3: me of the um, the campaign that was going to rename um, Batman yeah how's that going have you guys had i think anything anything it's more about happening that? batman's yeah. changing right,
2: right. robbing
0: the name <laughs> oh. <laughs> no we've got some bad jokes here. let's stop let's stop there yeah, let's 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 yeah let's, yeah, let's, let's have some more tea yeah let's have some more tea, and yeah, some <laughs> more tea and, you want some more tea maybe? i'm fine no. i'm still yeah. going <laughs> i mean laid low by um speak on the uh, yeah you were gonna say someone was saying something then about something uh, the, the
3: I was Yeah, I was wondering what the new name for Batman was going to be. Uh, Do you guys no, know off the top of your head? No, I don't know. Mm, maybe no. it's
0: still in the works. No, but it won't be, won't be a green name anyway, that's for sure. Um, mm. Now, there's this ad this week um, from, from a mob selling well, presumably these cruisers around, um, Southeast Asia Delights. But one of the delights for your four grand or thereabouts... Uh, or from twin share from, so through four grands, the um, it's 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 five grand if you happen to be on your own. Um, uh it's... uh, Singles
2: tax. Is this going to be our next holiday? Um, Well, (laughs) well,
0: it could be, but this is the bit that got me. Includes an exclusive performance by John Farnham at Gardens by the Bay. Sold. And it says, exclusive John Farnham event. Enjoy an unforgettable evening of musical talent, courtesy of national treasure John Farnham. National treasure? At the stunning Gardens by the Bay. Enjoy canopies and drinks, followed by a private performance by John Farnham, where he'll perform some of his most famous songs. It promises This is to be a very special experience that you'll treasure forever. Yeah, I think the
2: actual cost of the trip is about five hundred, and the other three thousand is the (laughs) ticket to see John. See John, I would have thought
0: for if you know for five grand, I'd be prepared to pay five grand not to hear John.
3: (laughs) Is that him um, on the image? That's him. That's John. Yeah, there he is. There he is. Definitely
2: changed with age. Yes,
0: so that's wonderful, isn't it? Well, the, Thank uh, you. For, I yes.
2: just feel like all my travel plans are sorted now.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, is our guest ringing in or are we ringing her? We're
2: ringing her so we can oh, go we can to a We to and it and very shortly then, yeah. okay. Yeah. I
0: just thought I'd mention also a, a bit of good news, I think. Um, uh, cyclists who get injured on the road, oh uh, which... Uh, Brace
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's
0: right. No, no, this is good news. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of this, but if you want to go to the... Um, to the Transport Accident Commission and and trying to seek some sort of compensation for being injured, Mm. you've always had to pay... $651 $651 up front as an excess fee what? which seems to be ridiculous and the <sighs> argument is that cyclists don't pay registration as motorists do so they get it you know they, they get compensation but they haven't paid into it etc etc okay. but anyway so much the, st- roads, but the state mm. government's recently um, just this week in fact has announced it's going to wipe the excess fee so cyclists who get injured can go and get compensation Yay. without having to pay up front which, mm. is, which is good I guess news, that's
3: aren't? a small comfort yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you live with the daily risk of injury <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks Australia <laughs> well, I, got, I almost
0: got injured injured feet walking my bike home last from here last week or not quite from here but from North Northcart I had a, a slow puncture that your, managed to run out at that point Your
3: bike mishaps <laughs> seemed to be localised to Wednesday yeah.
2: mornings so Well it's <laughs> okay this morning it,
0: No it's back this morning it's okay again. It's, yeah. It came across beautifully um, And again another bit of positive news although not for us um, Britain um, Britain um, brought in has brought in a levy on pl- a five pence charge on plastic bags if you want a plastic bags at supermarkets etc. Wow. And research has shown that the number of bags caught in fishing nets off the coast has fallen dramatically since the charge was introduced, so it does show that they work. There you go. Wow. Despite the fact that Andrew Bolt keeps attacking anyone who says we shouldn't have plastic bags, he says, in fact, they're good for the environment. He hasn't <laughs> explained why. But
2: mm. Oh, there'll mm. be some logic mm. in inverted commas, mm. I'm sure, that explains that. Mm.
0: Well, they're probably good for the economic environment of those who make them or something.
2: Mm. Mm. Whoever has shares in, yeah, petroleum companies. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So that's that. Well, shall we get our guest?
2: That sounds good, yeah. Hi, so we've got um, Hannah Orby on the line from the Australia Institute. How are you going, Hannah? Hi there, how are you going? Good. So um, you're in Canberra at the moment, and um, maybe we can start with the big win that you had in January with the Labor Party getting on board with the, at least in concept, the idea of a federal anti-corruption commission.
1: Yeah, so at the end of January, uh, Bill Shorten announced that the Labor Party would establish a federal anti-corruption watchdog if they get into government. Um, And the important thing about the announcement was that they didn't just announce that they were going to do it. They laid down some principles of how the body would work.
2: Mm.
1: And um, that's really important because unless you have a federal corruption watchdog with a broad jurisdiction, strong investigative powers, and the ability to hold public inquiries, um, it's really not going to be very <clears throat> effective or useful in investigating and exposing corruption. So we're really pleased that, that, that the announcement had um, those principles in there that, that at least showed us that they, their intention is to set up a strong watchdog with teeth.
2: Because mm, one of the uh, the article in the Finn Review that we were talking about before you came on was um, saying that the different... Uh, anti-corruption bodies in different states have different powers and that means that they have, like, variable outcomes.
1: Exactly. And the good thing is that when we are in the process of setting up a federal corruption watchdog, we can look at the experiences of the state bodies because there's an anti-corruption body in every state. Mm. And so we've had years of experience figuring out what works and what doesn't work, um, and the research that we're doing as a think tank is looking at the different design features of those state corruption bodies to really learn how to design the strongest watchdog possible um, and, and what impact that can have on uh, how they investigate and expose corruption.
2: Hmm. And you're working with some pretty prominent, well-known and well-regarded lawyers from around Australia, right?
1: Yeah, so we've set up a National Integrity Committee um, and that committee's work is to design a federal corruption commission and the the members of the committee are are six former judges including um, David Ipp, who was the New South Wales ICAC commissioner um, Mm. who exposed Eddie Obeid and Ian McDonald's conduct Mm. um, and also others such as Stephen O'Brien who was involved in designing... Federal IBAC in Victoria. So we tried to get experience from around the country and and from those that have experience both in anti corruption bodies but also in ro- Royal Commissions. So mm. some of the committee members have um, been involved in Royal Commissions in the past at the state level. So mm.
0: Hannah, the difference in different states of how they operate, I mean it's been argued that for instance the Victorian corruption body wouldn't have caught OBD and Co uh, as the New South Wales one did is that the case and if it is what what's the difference?
1: Yeah so the whole investigation into Eddie Obeid in New South Wales began with an anonymous phone call tip off to the New South Wales ICAC and someone basically rang up and said look I think you guys should have a look in the Bylong Valley there's something dodgy going on with mining licences. Mm. And that's it. That's all they had, mm. and so they had to use all their investigative powers to conduct a, a preliminary investigation to figure out if there was something wrong going on. And um, obviously, you know, history shows that there was. And mm. because of that investigation, Eddie Obed and Ian McDonald are in jail for misconduct in public office, mm. um, and. That, that wouldn't have happened in Victoria because in Victoria, the Victorian IBAC can only investigate uh, situations where there is a reasonable suspicion of an indictable offence mm. um, before they begin an investigation. So they basically need to have evidence of a crime being committed before they can even start investigating. Hmm. And to me, that seems like putting the cart before the horse, because if you have evidence of a crime being committed, just take it to the police and they'll take it from there. You know? <laughs> sure. it, well, but the whole point of Well, if they up,
0: don't, you need another corruption inquiry into them, of course. <laughs> that, I know. And that might, be a, that might be the case.
1: But the whole point of setting up an investigation, a commission to investigate and expose corruption, It's exactly that. The job is to investigate and Mm -hmm. to find out whether something's gone wrong or not. So if you know something's gone wrong, then our current system should be able to deal with it. But if you don't, Mm
3: -hmm. if you don't
1: know, you need to investigate and that's what the corruption bodies are for.
3: Yeah, and it sounds to me like that key word reasonable evidence, it gives an awful lot of wiggle room, right? Like there could even be cases where there's a suspicion, but it's considered not strong enough.
1: Exactly. And and in the Victorian Act, they use that word a lot, um, like reasonable grounds, reasonable suspicion. And the problem with that word is that it means that that anyone can challenge uh, IBAC's reasoning because, um, Mm. uh, and and then you can end up in court. So IBAC has ended up in court over their decision to hold a public hearing yeah, right. into the police in Victoria.
3: Wow.
1: And that's because in the public hearings clause, it says it has to consider on reasonable grounds um, that it's in the public interest, that there are exceptional circumstances and that it won't cause any unfair reputational damage. So mm. because of those reasonable grounds tests, um, IBAC, yeah, ended up in court over that decision. And, and obviously IBAC won because they'd done the job right, but mm. it just slows up investigations, um, wastes yeah. a lot of time and money um, yeah. going through the court process in the middle of an investigation when you should just be getting on with the job. But um, can, can you get also um, Sorry, it means <laughs> that you have to, like, prove to the court that you made the right decision, which means mm. giving them all your evidence, um, that you've got against someone. So mm. if you're under investigation, it's a really good idea. It's a tip to your listeners. Um, <laughs> if, <laughs> if you're under investigation by IBAC, it's a really good idea to challenge their decisions. Even if you don't think you're going to get um, a decision in your favour in court, right. at least challenge it and go to court because then you'll be able to find out uh. all the evidence that IBAC has against you. And then, another tip to your listeners, then you can go and... Um, destroy that evidence, or um, you know, wow. make make those witnesses leave the country, or wow. you know, there's certain things you can do in the middle of an investigation to kind of
2: find
1: find out
3: whatever that they have. And then, are, are there any examples that you can give us? I'm know, still writing down those clues. <laughs> but... <laughs> Kevin's Kevin's sweating
2: over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, I don't have any, any specific examples, but it's it's a, an area of concern that yeah. um, the committee of judges that I'm working with has, and, mm. and we're working hard to make sure that in a federal anti-corruption body um, that those more stringent tests for public hearings and for beginning investigations aren't, aren't there. And, and our position is basically that you need to trust your commissioner mm. and have someone in there that's been elected also um, nominated by bipartisan committee so that it's an apolitical appointment mm. and they need to be independent and trusted by all sides of politics um, and, and they need to be trusted to make those decisions um, for the benefit of the commission and for the benefit of the investigation.
0: Mm. Well, what, why do we need a federal body?
1: So there's an anti-corruption body in every state And at a state level, they've um, investigated and exposed really complex and um, troubling cases of corruption. Um, There's Eddie O'Bee's in New South Wales. In Victoria, there was the Education Department um, banker schools where they were using um, public money to go on um, amazing holidays through these banker schools. Um, And in in Queensland, of course, the Fitzgerald Inquiry exposed Mm. um, complex...
0: You'd found and, a few things out, yeah. And
1: disastrous <laughs> corruption in the in the mm. police department. So <clears throat> there's been, you know, and they're just three, but there's been ongoing investigation exposed at a state level because they've got these bodies to investigate and find it. But at a federal level, um, yeah, people that I meet with sometimes say, well, although but we, not that, those things haven't been exposed at a federal level. <laughs> Uh, and then I say to them, well, that's because we don't have a body, just go and find it. Um, <laughs> if you don't have the <clears throat> the body set up to find it, you're not going to find it, are you? Mm. So our, our position basically is that corruption doesn't stop it at the state border. Um, just because you cross over the border into the ACT doesn't mean that all of a sudden you become squeaky clean. Mm. Um, and actually, at a federal level, there's way more public money being distributed, um, there's, you know, there's way more contractors. There's way more power, political power, to make mm. decisions. So all those ingredients amount to corruption. When, you know, when there's public money and political power and um, and interest, you know, big business interests or contractors or um, mm. you know, it's kind of like all those, all the ingredients <laughs> are there. And we're not saying that everyone is. Corrupt, but what we're saying is that um, in order to increase public trust in politics, mm. we need to set up a good integrity system so that people know if there is corruption happening that it will be found. Mm
2: and you mentioned um we talked at the start that the labor had agreed to um set up the body if they were elected and that they had also not only done that but set up the principles of how it would work and um the article in the fin review uh, said that the current uh, coalition attorney general then was um you know saying that it's something for the coalition to consider, but do you have any indication about the kind of principles? Is it going to be a strong body if they do go with that and is it likely that they will? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, we're, we're speaking to all sides of, of politics at the moment and mm. the, the coalition haven't uh, closed the door on it, so mm. um, we're in discussions with them about, you know, putting our case forward about why we need it and how it should be designed. Um, Obviously it's hard to tell uh, what's going to happen, but I think it's clear that momentum is building on this issue mm. and the need is becoming more and more clear every day with public trust falling with mm. you know different scandals coming to light through the media mm. um, and I think coming into an election mm. you know you know voters will be um, will be wanting to know what what the government is going to do on this issue our polling shows that of people want a federal anti-corruption body Mm. Um, and 78% want one with public hearing. So Mm. it's pretty unusual to have an issue where you get those kind of polling results back. Mm. Um, It's extremely popular and for good reason and I think uh, the the government needs to do something because the integrity system is not up to
3: scratch. Mm. Mm. So so Hannah, I was wondering if you could give us uh, an idea give our listeners an idea of how how much of a problem corruption actually is. Like, do you have any statistics or any um, yeah gut feeling around that?
1: As I was saying before, um, it's hard to know before you have the body there to investigate and expose it. Yeah. Um, I think the real problem is in public public trust mm. in government and unless you have good integrity systems, including political donations, laws, lobbying, regulations, um, integrity institutions, the opportunities for corruption are there and you don't have to work very hard to hide it, basically, at a federal level. So Mm. the the, the tricky thing is that we just don't know because we don't have the good regulations and we don't have the investigation bodies set up to find out. But what we do know is that public trust in politicians is falling through the floor it's at all, all-time lows mm. um, and still falling. And I think if we want to have a healthy democracy where people are engaged and um, care about our political process like they, they should, uh, we need to do something to increase public trust and to put integrity back in
0: our system. Mm. Mm. What have been the arguments against it from government and um, the Labor Party's now come on board, but up until now the Labor Party, but particularly the coalition parties, why have they been opposing it up till now?
1: Some of them say that there's no corruption at a federal level and, and as I said before, um, that's pretty hard to believe with the scandals that are coming out, but also... Mm. Also, with the fact that at a state level, there's been so much exposed when, um, when you've got the right bodies in place. So, mm. and they say there's no corruption at a federal level, um, and even if there were, our systems, are, our, our current systems, are working well enough. So that's what they say. Mm. Um, but the research that the Australia Institute has done shows that there's massive gaps in our current integrity system, and that nobody no, bod- no integrity institution has the ability to investigate the conduct of our politicians. Mm -hmm. Um, No, uh, And the majority of the public service isn't really subject to to much kind of scrutiny. Um, One of the bodies, ACLI, is the body that's in charge of integrity of law enforcement agencies. So, you know, they, they... have some role in making sure that police and defence do their jobs properly, but they don't have enough resources, they don't have as strong investigative powers, um, and they only cover a few departments. So um, our research shows that at least, um, you know, maybe half the public service isn't covered by Mm -hmm. an investigative body exposing corruption. And as I said before, politicians, uh, ministers, ministerial staff, which have a fairly powerful role, um, there's nobody looking at scrutinising the conduct of those
3: those people. Mm. Yeah, that's obviously a flaw in the system, isn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, of course, federally, there've been a number of just travel rorts, for instance, in the last three or four years. Exposed, they mainly by the media in some ways, but one assumes that the ones exposed, there must be lots of other rorts going on that uh, aren't coming out publicly.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and to respond to that, the government set up an independent um, expenses uh, agency, mm. uh, and that's provides at least a place where people can go and get advice on whether their expenses are um, uh, legitimate or not. But again, the investigative powers of that body are pretty minor and if they do find something wrong, there's not a lot they can do about it. Mm. Um, so again, the Australia Institute Research looks at um, uh, I, the IPEA, which is a expenses body, mm. and... Um, shows that it doesn't really go far enough. Um, that re- that report's called The Case for a Federal ICAC. If your listener's interested, it goes through the existing bodies and, and finds the gaps.
2: Mm. Um, Han, one of the things that we talk about on um, City Limits is energy um, in terms of... Uh, alternatives, renewable energy, things like that. Um, And I know the Australia Institute does a lot of work around um, climate change awareness and um, lobbying in Canberra for renewables and alternative energy. Is there any overlap between the work that you're doing for the Australia Institute with the corruption um, watchdog and that kind of area of energy and resources, privatisation and things like that?
1: Um, In New South Wales, the New South Wales ICAC exposed pretty serious corruption in the distribution of mining licences over a couple of investigations. Yeah. Um, And uh, research by Transparency International um, looks at the vulnerabilities of the mining industry uh, to corruption. Right. um, Both because of lax regulation. As I was talking about before, mm. in lobbying and political donations and that kind of thing, but also because that industry has uh, a great need and can make a great profit from government decisions around licenses and permits
2: mm-hmm.
1: so any any industry really that has a big reliance on licenses and permits, for example property developers mm. Um, and and the mining industry is more vulnerable to corruption because they'll do anything basically Mm. to get that permit or licence because it'll mean that they'll be one up on their competitors and can develop
3: Mm. an an
1: area of land either into a mine or into a property development.
3: Would the the same sort of thinking apply to um, transport, which is another thing we talk about on this show? Transport, it depends if it's,
1: um, I mean, again, if it's the government contracting out to um, uh, transport companies to run public transport, I mean, there could be a vulnerability there. Um, Yeah, it's good just to look at the case studies from the state anti-corruption bodies. And, uh, yeah, New South Wales ICAC has exposed uh, corruption in contracting for transport. Um, Mining licences and Mm. um, and property
0: developers
2: and donations
0: there. So, Mm. if the Institute of Public Affairs, for instance, and this is very hypothetical, were recommending uh, what you're recommending, there'd be much more chance of the government listening. With them there, they they tend to dismiss the Australia Institute as being some terrible left wing body that we shouldn't take any notice of.
1: Yeah, we're an independent, um, non partisan. Think tank. We base a lot of our work on on research, and 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 we do talk to policy makers, but we focus it on research and what the what the facts are telling us. Um,
3: Seems like a great idea.
1: I know. <laughs> That's where you go wrong, obviously. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I mean that's that's so the, the Australian Institute, the the government tends to always dismiss anything it says as being this left wing think tank that um, you know doesn't know what it's talking about.
1: Yeah, but obviously that's um, not true, and a lot of the research that we <laughs> do right. is, is uh, based on fact and, and uh, actually really useful for the public yeah. debate.
3: But back to
0: those principles you mentioned that Labor Party was developing. What 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 are the principles that you believe ought to be in the in the body?
1: Yeah, I need to uh, get off the phone soon. Um sure. but uh just quickly, as I mentioned before, um we need a body with broad jurisdiction, strong investigative powers, public hearings, an independent commissioner, um who's who's elected mm. by a bipartisan committee. Um and and that, that you know, that all those things are important for yeah. um a strong corruption body that can investigate and expose corruption. Um, yeah, listeners can go uh, online to the Australia Institute website, tai.org.au to find all the material we've done in designing a federal corruption watchdog um, and all the details
2: are there. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Han. Thanks, Great Ash. to talk to you. Thanks for the update. Thank you. Bye. Okay, see you. That was Han Orby from the Australia Institute talking to us about the anti-corruption... Uh, watchdog mm. plans for the federal federal area of politics it was interesting mm. good
0: example of <clears throat> i wasn 't going to raise it with her, but a good example of how power corrupts is, is Ian McDonald, who was mentioned, who was one of the people of course jailed in the obed affair and he was the minister usually in the mine, the mine contracts or the the mine permits um, Ian Macdonald um, was a young svelt Student in the anti-war movement, Vietnam anti-war movement here when he was at La Trobe back in the, that period. Uh, and um, a rather slim young man who went up to New South Wales, got into Parliament and for some time, in fact, was used on this station as the spokesperson for the left politics in New South Wales. Uh, and he ended up this rotund person who obviously frequented many a, a long lunch and... Uh, etc. But he's a good example of how power corrupts, um, really, because he started out as a, an honest anti-war protester, a young, one of the young radicals mm. of that time. and
2: uh, I, see, I feel like you've yeah, seen a few people go that yeah. way. We've yeah. had oh, a few No doubt, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, we,
0: I mean, there are examples of that, I think. Mm. and uh, yeah, There's great examples around the world. I think Mugabe in... Um, Mugabe in, um, in um, in uh in thingo in zimbabwe mm. was um was a good example whom the left i think quite properly supported when he when he first won mm. um mm. but you know after years in power he just uh things are just really became so corrupt
2: yeah
3: yeah yep. yeah it was really interesting to hear Hannah talk about how um corruption often happens when there's that intersection between a big need and a big mm. opportunity to make a profit it's mm. kind of
2: yeah mm-hmm mm
3: enlightening to see it that way I guess mm.
0: Yeah, Well oh, yes <laughs> 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 Unfortunately, it definitely
3: applies to a lot of the urban issues we talk about on this show. I think. Yeah, well, that's mm. right. Well,
0: you, you mentioned developers, uh, mm. and uh, and clearly, local government's an area where you know where you could look at this sort of stuff because so mm. many uh, councillors get elected, virtually to speak for developers. So.
2: Yeah, I wonder. I don't know how the bodies work in in um, the states, but and what their areas of mm. jurisdiction purpose, are, like yeah. whether it yeah covers local government as well or just public service and, and yeah, more state-based. Yeah. 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 One mm-hmm. would hope
3: that there's something to keep local mm-hmm. government accountable. Well, mm-hmm.
0: right, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and uh, wind up with a few energy issues. Okay. Okay, and we're going to talk to Paddy Moriarty this morning about energy issues, but there's a couple of issues we can talk about. Um, and um, one of them is that this is an interesting um, stat, I think, Renewable energy produced more electricity than brown coal over the summer for the first time, as well as out-generating gas turbines for a third year running, new analysis shows. Power produced from wind, hydro, solar and biofuels totaled 9,880 gigawatt hours. A gigawatt hour is 1,000 megawatt hours, it points out. Over (laughs) the summer, 8% greater than the output from brown coal power stations and 40% greater than gas-generated green energy markets. Uh, February Renewable. Energy Index says. During the crucial summer peak hours between 11 and 7pm renewable generation, um, generation averaged 5, 6 all these figures but the important mm-hmm. thing is that it, it generated more than it didn't generate more than black coal but it generated more than brown coal. And, um, in fact, solar power on its own exceeded the maximum output of Victoria's um, shut-down Hazelwood Brown Coal Power Station by 48% during the hours of 4pm and 5pm and by 162% from 12pm to 1pm. So they're pretty important Mm. figures, I would have thought. Mm. Um,
2: Interesting. um, Um, When you were in your study and and work in architecture, Eugenia, did you... uh, was there much of an emphasis on um housing being self-sustaining in terms of energy production Generally, yeah, yeah.
3: <clears throat> there's definitely a lot of ideas about it around um but yeah 10 years ago i think the people were just only starting to get to grips with what technologies were out there mm-hmm. and how efficient they were and back at the time it was still a bit of a debate like well maybe is it is it worth for small homeowners to invest or not mm-hmm. but um yeah it's interesting i've i've been chatting about it recently with some some architects and some engineers and there's all these new products on the market so now mm. there's apparently um a facade panel that's right. basically like a lot of the other stuff that we'd often use to design houses in melbourne but it's um kind of coated on the outside with a photo photovoltaic skin so awesome yeah just as thermally mm. efficient as as what you'd use to build your house normally but you can generate power from pretty much every external surface in your home
0: that's pretty amazing,
3: mm, isn't isn't it? pretty amazing. So it's a brave new yeah. world.
2: Yeah, cuz te- I mean in th- in theory there's where like in Melbourne it's one of the least sort of um dense urban environments apparently. There's like houses with, you know, there's blocks of land with a house and then a whole garden. And I remember I lived in Brisbane 10 years ago and um people who'd been living there their whole lives said every house had a water tank. And there was a big move mm. by the government up there to get rid of the water tanks, supposedly because <laughs> um, they were breeding mosquitoes. But nobody thought that was true. It, uh, but more about like an image issue that um, mm, it looks terrible. like we're a big country town or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we're like get rid of all the water tanks. And then everyone, when I moved back up there, was... was paying big bucks to put them all back Again. in yeah. Yeah. Um, you know we could be so we could be self-sufficient in like energy production yeah. and in saving our own water totally and growing a lot of food in these big backyards that we have
3: yeah exactly because that's um, the the sort of nature of a lot of Australian cities is that they're quite suburban predominantly and yeah. Yeah. That obviously has its um, downfalls in terms of sprawl and transport yep. and car yep. depen- debt dependency. Mm. But then there are all these other benefits that we haven't perhaps been exploiting in the way that we could, like energy mm. generation, water mm. collection, mm. growing vegetables. Well,
0: when the government way back was talking about were first mooted and then went ahead with a um, – with the desol plant down in which which is you know, on a beautiful beach that is going to you know be destroying down at Williamson's Beach mm. in Gippsland, mm. part of a lovely stretch of surf along there. Um, the uh, when they first mooted that engineers here whom I know calculated that for much much cheaper you could have put. A tank in every backyard mm. in Melbourne, and you could have put grey water recycling in every place. It's mm. one, one of the most, you know, with water, I think one of the incredible wastes is using fresh water to flush toilets. Absolutely. I mean, it's mm. extraordinary yeah, that you it's know, we still do it. Yep. Um, and, um, and that could have been done, but of course they went ahead with the big project as usual, and to date we've used very little of it, but they, they still announce massive profits because we're, we contract, we pay them billions even if we don't use it. I mean, it's yeah. bloody mm. ridiculous.
2: Yeah, it is crazy.
3: Yeah, so mm. that
0: could have been done, and um, but unfortunately. But, yeah. unfortunately.
3: To, to go back to energy as well briefly, um, I think one of the problems in the past has been uh, not only the, the way you generate energy, but the way you, you store it and mm. kind of um, feed it into some sort of a grid. Mm. So I think the, um, the energy companies that most of us are um, sort of subscribers to actually don't really encourage um, home- homeowners to generate much energy through photovoltaics.
2: Surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. surprisingly it's not part yeah. of their some, profit model. For some reason they don't want yeah. us buying energy mm. from them. <laughs> yeah. Well, they
0: keep saying that, in fact, more if more the, the rich use that, then it's the poor are going to have to pay more to the companies, mm. cetera, You know, sure, So sure, it's sure, they, sure. all they're caring about is the poor will have to pay more, for which, sure. is, yeah. which sure, we know is always it. their main concern, of course. <laughs> mm. um, but having said that about it, renewables, etc. Uh, Frydenberg, of course, under pressure because really it's the Abbots and that so-called Monash group now, Monash Forum, oh, yeah. mm. who are determining energy policy for all of us in Australia. Mm. because the, yeah, Kevin, I read in the,
3: in the paper this morning that they're actually all they're interested in is an energy neutral policy. So they don't have any <laughs> biases, right. no, they're just right. looking out for yeah. the best <laughs> thing. Cold, the coal should
0: be in the mix, that's what they want. Yeah, <laughs> Only about 9,800% and that's all in, in the mix. But uh,
3: I wonder if they've read that article that you read us before <laughs> about the efficiency of solar. <laughs> no,
0: they missed that one but um, but what friedenberg's arguing in fact because they went for you know they the one the only thing in the um in the finkel report that they didn't adopt was his recommendation for the authority um to, to and they've gone of course for the um they've gone for this um new NEG, the national energy electric electricity market um but in fact friedenberg's admitting that what it will do will will allow coal power to last much longer He's trying to win over state and territory governments to sign up. He said it would encourage further investment in 20 existing coal-fired power stations, which have an average age of 27 years, to ensure they're able to last their full life rather than close shortly. Unlike Bill Shorten, the Coalition understands that coal has a future in Australia. The economics would indicate there is more of an incentive to upgrade existing coal-fired power stations than build new ones. Under the NEG, there is a premium on reliability. This will create an incentive to upgrade existing disp- um, dispatchable generators, like existing coal-fired power stations, where it is cost-effective to do so, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in fact, there's a there's a pro-coal business bloke called Trevor St Baker, who says. Um, coal fired power, owners of coal fired power stations should should have to go to the government to get permission to close them when they do want to close them. They shouldn't have to just close them. So, actually, what they're doing is interfering in the very market forces exactly. they extol. Yeah. Um, How does the
2: free market work, you keep? No, well, it's well, interesting, isn't it? Giving everyone subsidies and yes, yes, making I, them get permission for everything they do. going
0: to take your question as rhetorical, I, I think. Thank yep. <laughs> <laughs> you. But it it is pretty amazing, and that's what they're all about. And um, you know, and they're just ignoring the realities. But but there was a piece on on in fact, Radio National this morning on the breakfast show. Someone said that in fact, Freidenberg suggested that coal fired power stations under his plan will survive until twenty seventy. Oh, I mean, okay. it's 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 mind boggling, isn't it? Mm. They they can yeah. be so myopic.
2: Yes, yeah. Well, when this anti corruption question what was that about the uh, intersection of need and profit? Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, we would have talked to Patty Moriarty about all that, but unfortunately, as I say, I hope he's okay. Maybe though, next month. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. if he's
2: listening, yeah. um, we hope you're well, Patty. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I've got a song by Emma Donovan to finish up, which I think is appropriate because it's called Sunshine and mm. it's what we could be all <laughs> getting our energy from. So,
0: Okay, and next week is uh, housing, third Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah, housing next week and Great. housing with the Asian Action Group and other issues about housing. It's so so we'll always get, a good yeah. one. Can't wait for ah,
2: it. See you next week. See
0: that's guys. Now no, don't just say, can't yeah. wait is a ridiculous comment because you have to wait. No <laughs> but like, uh, People say, like, can't wait for the grand final. They so, say, well, you're going to have to. They're not going to play it in a minute just for you.
3: All right, I can, but only just. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>